Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. With the right culture and the right communication, today's guest, Adam Livesey, is putting his foot on the pedal and driving manufacturing forward. Adam, welcome. My dad worked in the manufacturing industry for his entire career. I love How it. Crazy. It's where my passion lies, so this will be fun. Yeah, so I would love to know what got you into manufacturing because I haven't really talked to anyone about that. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So probably around 2006, 2007, there was a big, I would say kind of big push for like renewable energies in the Pacific Northwest. And there's a lot of legacy technology around wind turbines at the time. And a family member of mine was doing a lot of research around wind turbines. And so I went into back to school to get an electrical engineering degree. It was kind of fascinating how kind of electronics and engineering on the electrical side were overlapping the mechanical side. That's what got me into manufacturing. Then when I got into manufacturing, I realized how inefficient so much of manufacturing is. I was blown away about the lack of technology. And then just selfishly, I saw like a pretty, you know, aging population. There are a lot of people that were gearing up for retirement in the next decade and not a lot of young people getting into it. So I thought it was a really cool, you know, space that I found super interesting how stuff worked. The fact it was lagging in technology, it was very inefficient, and there weren't a lot of people like jumping to get into the industry. And then when I got, when I started working in it, you started to meet a lot of second generation, third generation, small businesses that were manufacturers from all different sectors. And that was really cool. You know, it's kind of nuts and bolts that make this whole country kind of move. And I've, um, yeah, fell in love with it over the last, you know, 15, 16 years. Yeah, I would say just from what I've seen with my own dad that like you saw, there were a lot of family run businesses. A ton. Family run businesses where they can be household names and you wouldn't even know that they're family run business, right? And a lot of them are third and fourth generation now. It's really cool to see that that's still that, that's still moving in the in the world. And you yourself are working with a family member, right? I work with a few family members. Yeah, yeah. So I've worked with uh, in the manufacturing company. There was four or five of us that were family members throughout the West Coast. And then yeah, I work with a family member now. It's good. It's fun. It's a, it's a ton of fun because we're very passionate about this next wave of manufacturing. We're passionate about getting just young people excited about manufacturing. We're starting to see this new wave of, of young people coming into manufacturing. It's almost like this new spark of energy throughout the industry. And it's fun to be part of that. I would love to know from like the beginning of you getting involved with it until now, like what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? Oh, the cloud, 100%. <laughs> like without a doubt, 
when I got into manufacturing, I don't know 2007 ish. I don't know if companies would allow you to take your phone into work. You'd have to like put in your locker, put it at your desk. Now phones are part of just your everyday operating system, right? You're getting your emails, your CRMs, your ERP systems, you name it. Everything from internally was locked down to your computers or your intranets or your VPNs and all that stuff, right? That's completely changed. I mean, everything, even now, a lot of our partners, they could be, you know, senior leaders or executives at some of our customers and partners, they text more than they email. And if you would have text back in 2006, 2007, that was like a no-go. There was no way, right? You would have been, what do you, you know, don't, don't text me, email me and so forth. I would say the cloud has transformed formed manufacturing every way from like how they operate their business to how they deliver products, how they service the products, how they interface with their machines once they're in the field or with other partners. And that's pretty exciting because it was pretty, pretty legacy when I joined the industry, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Oh my God too. I mean, I can tell you just even from like how my dad operates still, like I feel like he didn't so much necessarily hop on that technology boat. And I think that's what ultimately like ended to the, you know, it ended the business. Yeah. That's like a sad truth, right? I think companies that aren't adapting it right now, either they're not consuming it for their own operations or they're not figuring out how to get their products and their operations to be cloud enabled or connected to their partners, they're going to slowly go out of business, right? And just everyone's expecting it now. Rarely do people expect to be in a closed system that's very manual or not connected to the cloud. And the skill sets that are coming in, all the young engineers, they want everything to be shareable and accessible from anywhere in the world. And, you know, on the flip side, I would say that a lot of the organizations now, millennials and like Gen Zs, they have no problem getting emails at any time of the day, weekends, whatever. That was not the case 15, 16 years ago. You left the office, you shut your computer, you didn't get emails until you got back. The flip side though is they want definitely a work-life balance. They want to say, hey, I'm going to do this, but I also want, you know, more vacation time, more flexibility on work schedules, being able to work remote, being able to, you know, you name it. And so there's a trade-off there, right? And I think at the beginning, in the last few years, probably with COVID, that's really, you know, forced a lot of the industry to like kind of swallow that hard truth that this is the way work's going to be. You know, I'd say pre-COVID, there were still a lot of companies that had an issue with that, right? They forgot that like a, a leader could email their team at Saturday and expect a response back. Well, that didn't happen a decade ago right? You want to get that email to you out in the office. Now you're getting these young kids that will get it. They'll see the email. They might respond or they might come into the office, prepare Monday morning for whatever it is. The flip side, these legacy, you know, I'd say Gen Xers and baby boomers are really starting to realize, Hey, if, if we want more of a flexible work schedule, if we want our team to be able to work remote for us to hire people that are nowhere near our normal operating you know, parameters that they've, they've really embraced that too. So it's been, I think it's been good for manufacturing because if we didn't do it that way, I think it'd be a, an uphill, uphill battle over the next decade or so. I see that leadership is really important to you. You're constantly like posting motivational quotes. Where do you get all that leadership motivation? Yeah. Good question. So I've had the benefit of a, both in my own personal life, being able to see how good leaders, not just leaders, good cultures, right? The people that are leading those cultures, what they can get out of their team 
team and what it's like for their team to, if that could be from athletes, that could be business leaders, whatever, how they respond, how they react, how they respect them long-term. I've also seen it in companies I've worked for and other companies we work with. The great difference of when you have strong leadership, leaders that often lead from a position of serving, very empathetic, right? I've really gone through this change to organizations that have not. I could give a million examples of companies that are blazing the world on fire. They're very profitable. They are doing very innovative things and their employees love being there. And then the same type of company with weak leadership that might be driven just by the bottom line or just by ways that we used to operate and they're not as profitable. They're not as innovative. I have been able to see that in real time. I've been able to interact with them. I've been able to interact with their team members. I think that having that strong culture which starts with leadership is really, really important. And then not to mention, this is a very competitive world we're in. It's very hard to hire talent, A and B players, especially in a connected world. My generation and Generation Z, they don't stay at places more than a few years, especially right out of college. So they're going to look to jump. And it's not back in the day when you kind of have this person and, and they couldn't find the next opportunity. The networking, if it's on social media, if it's just through the industry, whatever it is, you can bounce pretty quickly. So I think that's even more important now because we all know it takes a year to train anybody before they really start producing real value to the organization, right? If you aren't invested into their long-term success, everything that you put in that effort and that time, somebody else is going to be able to take advantage of, right? And then on the flip side, if it's not a good fit after a few years and they decide to leave and go work somewhere else, hopefully you connect later on in the future. I love that. When you see somebody who's freshly out of college and they're excited about what you're excited about. Yeah. I think most people actually in the software world are really excited to get into like industrial IOT. I think there's been these waves, right? So you kind of had like e-commerce, right? So like the Amazons, the Ebays, the world, everybody kind of want to get into that. And then you got like the big cloud players. So everybody wanted to go work at Azure and AWS and Google. Now people want to go, Hey, how can I take technology? and really implement it where it's doing something. I'm putting this on a street sweeper. I'm putting this on a bulldozer, whatever. And the stuff they're building is impacting like the city they're living in, or it's impacting the world. We're seeing that being a massive shift. And so five years ago, it was hard to recruit people into industrial IoT because they didn't really understand like where did software and manufacturing like blend. Now there are a ton of people that want to get into it. Like they're like, oh, I get it. I know the cloud tools. I got the software tools. If I can like team up with domain experts, industry experts have the same vision, then we can build product that's actually being used by people that don't even want to know what the software is. They just want to kind of blend into the background, do their normal jobs and have it help them with whatever they're trying to accomplish. 90% of people that we work with from an ecosystem, they're very passionate about the IoT aspect and they're wanting to get into building technology that's really helping industry. And that's pretty cool. I heard you say in another interview, like when you first started talking to companies, we were even having to define what IoT was. So what did that look like? Like what did that conversation look like in the beginning? So it's basically just connecting objects to the internet, being able to share that data with different companies so that they can make, you know, actionable decisions to drive their business, right? So for us, we work in heavy machinery. So we like to say we're like a Fitbit for heavy machinery. We go on the machine, we monitor the health, we monitor the performance, we look at it aggregately, we give you feedback on what you can do better and so forth, right? When we got into IoT, at the beginning. So it's so funny at the very beginning, I think some companies looked at us like, like did you put IOU, like what is this presentation? Right. I had no idea what IOT was. So we had to kind of, you know, do an education of 
technology that lives on the machine and technology that lives in the cloud and an, and an app on a cell phone and the whole deal. Then it got to a point where it was, okay, we don't know IoT. Tell me about your technology stack. So now all of a sudden took this evolution of, okay, now we, we've learned a little bit above it. Let me, let me learn more about what's underneath the hood. It became really nerdy and, and geeky. And we tend to geek out there, right? So we go down there and geek out. Now it's, what's the solution are you providing and what technology is blending in the background to provide it. Send me your security documentation, send me your processes and procedures and so forth. They don't even care so much about the technology behind it as long as you meet the business case. And that's huge. And so our, our website actually is, you know, elevate-iot. We always joke around that we wish we didn't have the IoT in it because now we've kind of like positioned ourselves as IoT, but we had to because people had no idea what IoT was back in the day. So you almost had to brand it to these manufacturing companies. If you could clone yourself, maybe like a couple times and make three yeah. of you, are there other things that you would want to start in the industrial space? Great question. Yes. So I think the way that companies order, do their purchasing currently through their supply chain is not great. I think that a lot of us are used to doing one-click shopping on whoever our, our e-commerce app is. I don't know why industrial companies can't do the same. You know, it's a space where it's niche in the fact that every machine manufactures a little bit different than the other ones. So you'd have to build like storefronts for each one. But I think that's a, a huge missed opportunity for a couple of reasons. One, the process of having to put a purchase order in, call your suppliers, have them run that, go back to their suppliers, bring up through the distribution channels, so much overhead, so much inefficiency. And then the time, right? The time to get that in is just wasted. There's no reason that can't be very automated. I definitely spent time there. The other piece that I'd spend a lot of time in, I think, is, is on the connected sensor side. There are a lot of great sensors out there, but they haven't made the the sensors haven't got to the point where um, they can easily connect to different wireless networks. And often that's, you know, we think that's silly because we buy a, you know, a ring doorbell or a ring surveillance camera. And it's really easy to set up. But a lot of these machines have to, a lot of these sensors have to go into machines that are like negative 40 degrees Celsius, 85 degrees Celsius. They have to go in the, the mud, the blood, and the beer. They're in like the action world, right? So they spend a lot of time doing that and they don't figure out a lot of time how to do the, the sensor communication. I think there's a massive opportunity for a company out there that makes it really easy for me to connect my sensors to whatever you know communication device I'm using, like I would a ring doorbell. I think the company that figures that out or the companies that figure that out, they'll steal a lot of market share. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, how yeah. have you decided which partners to go with? Mm. That has to be really challenging too. Yeah. Number one, 100% the people, the people in the culture. Technology itself isn't much different from one side to the next, but it depends on how they value the customer, how they value their team members. Because when you do an IoT project, if you think about it, and I build a bulldozer and I put all this new technology on it that's going to live in the field for the next seven years, you have now partnered with that manufacturer for a technology lifespan of the next seven years. How the two companies that are providing the sensors and controllers and software and everything work together and what their values are, what their culture is, we have decided not to move forward with partnerships that at the beginning we worked with because they had the technology piece, but the culture was not a good fit. That is the number one thing that we look for. Are the cultures aligned? Do we have the same similar core sets of values, right? Pretty much the same, but are they right there? What's it like working with them? So we typically will do a test run for like a year together before we launch. It's so important. 
important in this industry that you are aligned there. It's a different, different industry where when you deliver the product back in the day, I could deliver a sensor or a pump and that was done, right? Ship that sensor and pump. It lived out there in the, in the world and it did its work and whatever. When you're delivering technology and software, it's constantly evolving. Our Netflix today is better than it was 10 years ago, better than it was five years ago, right? I have a subscription to Netflix. It gets better and better and better. My op Office 365 gets better and better and better. Back in the day, it was like, I got my XP. It was horrible. And I was waiting for the next version to come out and whatever. Now software gets updated so much that that culture fit has to be there. If it's not, we personally will not partner with those companies. Interesting. Do you feel like you're living the dream now? Like, do you feel like this is your dream? Oh, for sure. I think this is... Amazing. To give an example, you know, just to run like this week, we're working with one manufacturer that's in the recreational vehicle market and they're launching a whole new connected vehicle. And we're working with them. We're working with our partners that we went in there with. We're meeting internally and it's going to be a whole new product to consumers out there that buy these vehicles. Next meeting is another partner we've been working with for a year and we're planning to launch globally. We're doing training with their teams. They're giving us feedback. They're showing us their technology roadmaps. They're bringing in other partners from overseas and all the stuff gets specced into the manufacturing area, right? Then we have, you know, another big go-to-market partnership we're launching globally. And there's all these activities that are getting ready for launch. We've already gone to market with a few customers together. And it's like the collaborative, the marketing, the pricing, the training, everything's lined up. And then we have, you know, I'd say our premier partner out there, and we have 60 active po projects with them around North America right now. They're going into all of these tier two, tier three manufacturers. A lot of them are family owned and they're deploying new solutions all the time. We're deploying solutions. We're doing project management. We're doing roadmap building. We're, we're doing brainstorming. Their customers need to go through this technical technology revolution. They're looking for the right puzzle pieces to get them there. We believe that we're building the right collectively, the right puzzle pieces to do that. And it's great. It is fantastic. And I think one of the things too, that's really cool about this is when you can get honest feedback that either you're lacking in an area or you drop the ball in an area or, or, or great feedback, like you blew out of the water over here. That didn't happen in industrial supply chains before. Everyone's trying to skate to the, where the puck's going to be. We're all trying to get there together. We're trying to row the boat in the same direction and we're in it to win it together. And that is completely different when manufacturing, I got into it. And it was, hey, how much can I buy this pump for? And if I buy a hundred of them, can I buy them cheaper? And if that messed up, it's all on you. We have nothing to do with it. And so that whole relationship, how that's uh, evolved and improved has been fantastic. Yeah. Like where is the gap between the companies that figured out the technology piece and the ones that are still like struggling to get there? Yeah, I would say personnel. And I don't mean the, the mm. capability of the personnel, putting people, a company making the investment decision that they're going to put a person or a team of people in to drive this digital transformation. Often what happens is companies that are lagging have said person A, we're going to add another task to your work schedule. You got to figure this out. And they're doing a million of other things, right? The company that said, we're going to invest in the right team members. We're, we know it's not going to pay off for a year, two years, even three years down the road. We're going to put the right people into place to make sure that we have the right business model. We have the right technology partners. We have the right training. We understand what's going to be to support this when we release it. Those companies succeed. And that typically happens at the leadership level. It might be discovered at another area of the company, but the leadership needs to say, we're going to invest in this. 
right? We know that this isn't a feature. This is a strategy. And if this becomes part of our strategy and we put the right resources in place to get there, then we're going to be really successful. There are companies in our industry right now that will shock the industry of what they're doing because the investment they've made over the last two years. And there are companies that you would not think would be making this massive leapfrog. And when they do, they're going to steal so much business they're going to make so many companies more innovative. It's going to, I really believe, rock the world that we're in. And it's really exciting to see that and be part of that because that's when you know that this, this tidal wave has started to create, right? There's all this force underneath the water and you're just starting to see it like creep up. And it's going to be pretty, pretty exciting to be part of that, that recipe as it goes out there into the industry. Tell me yeah, about some of the it. bumps, bruises, and scars. Okay. So funny. So I have a bunch of these bump bruises and scars sitting on my desk above my head right now. When we launched, often we thought we had to be Apple model, if you will, right? We had to be the phone and the software and everything. Primarily because companies back then didn't manufacture, you know, devices that look like this, right? This could go on a garbage truck. It could live in really hard temperatures. And we couldn't find one that price point the market needed and hit the the, the engineering specs we need to. We had engineering teams, we had supply chain teams, we used some third party companies for design. We did that. So, so here's one. We did another one for one of our customers. So this is all through the evolution. So we have a bunch of these that we, we've done. About six years ago, other suppliers starting to started to release this and they didn't require you to use their software. They said companies like Elevate could put their software on it. We had literally millions of dollars sunken into this part of our business. And it was a high revenue piece of our business, but we knew we could never get to the volumes at that stage of the company to really make this worthwhile. This was more like niche manufacturing, if you will. We went out and we formed partnerships with companies that built these devices and we would put our software on the device and the cloud so their customers could order from the hardware manufacturers. That was a bump, bruise and scar because you know we sunk a lot of time and energy into it. We sunk a lot of money into it. But ultimately, we want to be the company we are today. We want to be the company we are with our partners without going through that learning pain. I think if, if we didn't go through it, our strategy of how we go to market with partnering up with electronic control companies, with distributors would not be formulated. We probably think we could have done everything soup to nuts, right? From the, from the hardware to the cloud. So very painful at the time. Lots of inventory on the shelf. We had to make a hard decision. And uh, ultimately, it ended up being the right decision. But at the time, it was a very, very difficult decision to make. Did you start this as a side hustle or did you just jump ship? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we started as a side hustle. We were building these inside. So the company I wanted to go work for, the manufacturing company, we were building like these like a very, very primitive solution of this. And we're taking it to customers. Now, the, the issue was we had a very small geographical location and we only had one supply channel. When we kept on like, getting this like request for what we're doing over and over again, like, is this bigger than what we think it is? Is it bigger than a business unit in the manufacturing company? So we went to go talk to our peers. So we flew around North America. We talked to peers of ours that were not competitors because they're at different geographical locations. They had the same problems, issues, needs. That's when we said, okay, we're going to spin this out. And the owner of that manufacturing company and myself spun this company out. And then we said, we're going to separate them completely completely legally, not a subsidiary, nothing, because it needed to be standalone because that manufacturing company only worked with one supplier chain, basically, right? And we knew that this had to be where it wasn't tied into any of the major suppliers out there, that this had to go into the level of the manufacturers and the manufacturers had to decide who were their ecosystem partners to work with. Yeah, so, but it was a side hustle because yeah, I was leading a business unit. That business unit was growing 50% per year, year over year. Career trajectory looked really, really nice, but 
but when he saw this, he saw how it was changing customers. It was changing the way they're doing business. We knew like, okay, if we're going to sign up for this, let's do it. And uh, we went all in and it's been fun. Did anybody try to discourage you? Oh, all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially people inside the company we spun out of because a lot of legacy people in there were the last 10 years of their career. They didn't think it was ever going to be plausible. They didn't understand that we were different than other technologies that were out there. And a lot of, it was interesting. There was kind of two different packs. One pack was really excited about what we're doing and another side that, that was not. And so that was, and it was tough because a lot of those people were people you looked up to. You had to take, you had to listen to them. Couldn't get mad about it. You had to really like, are they right or are they wrong? But when you got in front of customers and it changed the way that customers started to work with us, you know, they would provide their vision of where their machines want to be in the next 10 years five years, three years, you saw the gaps in their machines, the design, the service, the business models. That was so encouraging because you knew this wasn't going to be science projects, right? We took it to a large trade show, the largest in the world for what we do. It's called Con Expo. It's every three years. And we went into a booth with a partner to launch this big global partner. And we went in there and there's a line outside the booth. This is 2016. When that version of our company was launched in there, and there was a line outside the booth to come in and see the technology, we knew that this was going to be a big deal. Where does your dad fit into all of this? Ah, yeah. So my dad, back up a little bit, he had a small business in the town we grew up in. It was a real estate escrow company, right? So they did closing of houses. He was also our football coach. So he coached 30 years at the high school that my brother and I ended up going to. He still coaches today. He's retired. He lives down in Boise, Idaho. He still coaches. So his passion was coaching. His career was a small business of, you know, eight or 10 employees that they had. So I saw a few things I would say. So my dad's one. And then I also said my mom was a principal. My parents got divorced when I was young. I was five years old. We split 50-50, one week here, one week there. They live three miles away from each other. You know, step siblings on both sides. It it worked out really well for us. And my mom is a principal for special ed, reentry program, and alternative high school. And she ran this huge program of a town next stars. And so we had these two people, our mom and her dad, that had massive impacts in the community, right? Different approaches to things, different career paths, but both with incredible work ethic, both that put family first, both that we'd run into students of theirs or athletes of theirs. And they'd always say, how's your mom doing? How's your dad doing? Which is great. Now, the difference between my mom and my dad would be my mom would probably always tell us how good we did. My dad would never tell us how good we did. So, and they both had high expectations, but you know, my mom was definitely, definitely more nurturing in that aspect. My dad was, we always knew he was proud of us, but he would never tell us he was proud of us. Right. Like you always, you knew because how involved he was and engaged he was and everything, but we'd run into somebody and they'd say, Hey, you know, your dad would tell us how proud he is or what you're doing or whatever. I think that's really, really, it's kind of important to us growing up because watching the work ethic they had, right. Watching the sacrifice they had, but also watching them do stuff they're passionate about. They're both passionate about their careers. I think my dad was passionate about the business he had, but he's more passionate about coaching. And my mom was very passionate about her students and the programs that she was building. So I think we're, we were lucky to find that uh, both my brother and I to have these two role models in our life that had kind of different paths, both very passionate and major impacts in the community. So when you look at like the manufacturing space, you know, I'm more, I get more excited about the impact we'll have on the industry than I do about whatever we'll do with the company. The company will be what it is at the end of the day. I'm really interested. I'm really driven by what's this industry going to look like when we're done with this thing 
right? How much are we going to be threaded into there? So I'd say that's probably how that how that ties together. I would also say coming from a coach's son, the big tagline in the always say two things. One was video never lies, which was like, so if you ever thought you had a horrible game, you go back and watch the video and you realize it wasn't that bad. Or if you thought that you had a really good game, you could watch the video and realize you weren't as good as you thought you were. I kind of try to go back and relook at projects or strategies and try to dissect it later and see, you know, what did we did right? What did we did wrong? I also think that the visualization aspect of being a coach's son, he really tried to have us visualize the game the night before. So we'd watch a lot of game film. We'd study the team around play, but then you had to kind of really try to visualize these plays to get there. Do the same thing in business, right? Like before major meetings or presentations, man, I've probably talked to myself 90 million times, right? The other thing he would always tell us was, you know, we had the benefit of playing for him, me, my brother, my stepbrother for football. And before every game, he'd walk up to us and he'd say, right before we took the field, what I had, I gave. And what I kept was lost forever. And that meant you never get a playback. So it's up to you of how hard you want to play. But what I had, I gave. And what I kept was lost forever. You'll never get it back. I think getting that ever since we we're like 15 years old until we graduate high school was a big deal because it's really up to you about the effort you want to put in. But if you don't put in that effort all the time, you'll never get that missed opportunity, right? So that's been a key piece to all of our lives. I love that. What a good reminder. When my sister went to state, they were the underdogs. My dad wrote her a pretty cool note and he said, don't read it till you get to state. And he told her that story because no one knew that my dad would tell me or my brothers this quote. We never talked about it as a family, something that we did before every football game. So then I got a chance to coach Adam and, and Brian to Tyler. And before every game, I would talk to them and stuff. And I never had to do that to you. But this is your time to shine. You guys are going to state. You're never going to get another shot. Leave it out on the court. And I'd tell them what I had, I gave and what I kept was lost forever. Well, they end up taking like second in state, right? So they end up going up there and having a huge run and that became their team motto. And that was their cheer before every match and stuff. And so, yeah, I think it resonates well. It's something I always think about. I love that. I can see you like now, like doing that for your team. <laughs> for sure. There's some texts that go out around that. Yeah. What a great vibe. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so I also wanted to know, like, did your parents let you pick your interests or did they, you feel like influence you for things that they wanted you to do? hundred percent pick our interests. Yeah. Without a doubt. All of us. And they let all of us pick our interests. I think a lot of us were of all the kids because we had parents that were in business, like entrepreneurs and parents that were in education. I would say that the only time they probably helped move us away from something was we were not very good. I played the alto saxophone. He played the trumpet. And I think going into uh, junior high, you didn't have to have one of those three requirements. And I remember our parents kind of guiding us away from band. It was not pretty, but other than that, they've been pretty good on being supportive or helping us remember like what our strengths were, but they don't direct us for sure. They encourage us. When you were going through those like rough teenage years, I don't know if they were rough for you, but yeah, for sure. How do you feel like your parents were there for you through that? expectations for sure they had expectations on us meaning your curfews at this time if you don't hit this curfew you're getting stuff taken away there was definitely expectations there there are expectations on on school on grades on friends we hung out with you would name it there's expectations on that they would definitely punish us but not so much punish us like they would, they would discipline us in, in ways, but because there was expectations there and because they're so engaged, they would really let us know that we let them down there. 
that we let them down. And if you're from the older, you know, I was the oldest or my stepbrothers right, right underneath me that we're not only letting the parents down, we're letting our younger siblings down because they're looking up to us. Um, we played a lot of sports. So then now all of a sudden you could be letting your team down, whatever the case was. And so I think that there was that aspect to try to bring it like it, like, the decisions you make just don't impact you. They impact other people, right? And I think that if you ever did something, you stayed out too late, if you're hanging out with the wrong kids, whatever the case was, you got a bad grade, you skipped class, they were able to help us understand that we're not the center of the universe, that there are a lot of other things. Around. I think it's probably easier back then than it is now because you're connected to so many different outlets on social media and stuff, right? I don't even think MySpace existed when we were in high school. <laughs> so you were kind of, you know, cocooned in there and you had to sit by your room and you had, you had no access to anything. And I don't even think we had TVs in our room type of thing. So yeah, I think that was really good. And I think I didn't always understand it growing up, but you definitely understood it as you got older. It sounds like you guys still bond through sports too, right? Like 100%. you guys... <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. Our phone is, is pretty much just sports. Yeah, our phone conversations are, are sports and the economy and stuff like that. That's about it. For us, you know, it shaped a few things, right? It shaped commitment to teams. It, it shaped hard work. It shaped how to lose. Like, how do you lose together, right? How do you bounce back up? How do you get better? It, it showed you that hard work pays off. All these things that it, the effort that you put in will produce some type of results and very better results than if you put in no effort type of deal. And then the competitiveness, all that, all that piece. We bond around sports a ton. It's so funny because my daughter decided to join basketball this year because it was like one of the few sports that they offered through COVID. And she's like, I never nice. thought I would play it, but she's like, why not? I'll give it a try, yeah. you know? And she had to miss a game this week. And the previous game, they lost, they got creamed. And she was just like, hey, at least I got to try to be in a game. She wanted to try again. She didn't care about losing. Like she just was like upset that she didn't get the opportunity to lose. That's the competitive piece, right? Like I want, I'm a better person when out doing activities, right? I'm like a better person if I, if I go work out, if I play golf, if I go for whatever. I, I that is, I think there are people that are wired that way, 100%, right? And I'm a better person when I'm around other people. And I think being able to do sports when you're younger helps you realize that now, right? You start to go, oh, let's, this makes sense. Yeah. I think that's, that's good. Did she like basketball? She enjoyed it? Yeah. So far, you know, she's cool. only played in one game and COVID hit our, hit our house this week. So she had to miss a game, but she got really excited because due to snow, they rescheduled it. And I was like, what a great attitude that like, so good. she and didn't mind getting stuff. creamed. <laughs> Right. And that's okay. Yeah. Some of my most favorite moments are when I was young in like high school athletics and I was, you know, wrestling or playing football against a lot of older kids and they were a lot better than me. I got my butt kicked. That was some of the best, right? Because, because eventually you do the butt kicking and that feels so much better when you get there. But when you're 14 or 15 years old and, and you're wrestling or whatever, and this kid's a senior and he's just, he's just mopping the floor with you really sucks then, but it feels a lot better as you put the work in. Right. So, but those are some of my fondest memories is, is not so much winning. It's actually when it's actually either when we barely won or when we had really tough games that you lost or games that you got your butt kicked and you realize you're at a completely different level than the person you were 
competing against. I coached for four or five years in college, five years, I guess, with my dad. I coached with him. That'll be my next chapter when I'm done with this whole like IoT manufacturing thing. I think I'll go back to coaching for a while. I had a lot of fun doing that and stuff. So that's that's really cool for your daughter. That's great. And she, she knows her passion. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I truthfully, I encourage it. I also had a dad that if I wanted to try to become a professional singer, he probably would have let me. Like, yep. I think like so it's so funny. So there's the band, and then you talk about basketball. Basketball is the other thing that my dad dad steered me away for because I'm vertically challenged. I think he said, I feel like you might be better at the wrestling map than you are on the basketball court. And my little brother, well, he's, you know, he's not really tall, but he's probably six foot, six one, but he was a pretty good little basketball player. I think as the older brother, I want to do basketball. I remember dad going, you might be better here at wrestling. I think he helped with that a little bit too, which was, which is if I think back on it, like, oh, that's probably something else that you steered me in the right direction, knowing where my strengths and weaknesses are. But for him, he probably just knew that I like to compete. And so he, he probably knew it doesn't matter. You know, you guys played soccer and baseball and all this stuff. You just want to go do something competitive, which reminds me, that's the other thing that I loved about what our parents did for us is they, we could not pick what sport we were going to play or not play until we were 13. So the deal was they would sign us up for soccer, baseball, whatever. And we had to play. And it was because they started, they signed us up when we were five or whatever. And we liked it. But often I think kids probably, I don't know now, but definitely when I was there, you didn't want to the seasons coming up. I don't really want to play baseball, whatever. And he'd say, Hey, you're playing it until you're 13 at 13. You can make a decision if you don't want to play baseball or not. And I thought that was really good because I feel like if he didn't do that, we would have said no, I think at certain points, but by week one, after you're out there with your friends running around practicing, playing games, we loved it. And then by the time the season got done, we're excited for the next season. And then I want to say at 14, we quit playing baseball. I think that's when I was introduced to wrestling and I liked wrestling and football is a little more fast paced for me than baseball. So we did more of that. And then I think I quit soccer after my sophomore year of high school, just with uh, wrestling and track and, and, and baseball. So it was great. Right. But I remember being like seven, nine, 10, 11, whatever those ages were. Like, oh, I can't, I don't want to do soccer again. But then when soccer came, we loved it. All right. Do you have any questions for my daddy? After, you know, the manufacturing career, right? Let's say this thing ramps down in the next, I don't know, let's just say five or 10 years or who knows when, and you move on to the next thing. What do you, what's your recommendations, you know, for people that move on after their baby is gone, right? Their business, they've built their career. What's that like? Ooh, that's a good question. I know some of that answer, but I will let him answer. Sounds good. How has your dad handled retirement? He's embraced it. He golfs. Yeah? No joke. It's my birthday a year or two ago. I'm in Seattle. It's me and my brother. It's raining sideways. It's May 1st. Like we're trying to get from like the parking garage to the office or whatever. We call my dad and he's still in Arizona. He's wishing me a happy birthday. And he goes, I go, hey, what are you up to? Well, me and your stepmom are trying to figure out when we go back to Boise. It's getting a little bit warm here, starting to get into the 90s. But Boise's still kind of low 70s. So it's a little cool for me. So I don't know really when to get there. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is first world retirement problems. I don't need to hear about this. It's raining sideways. All we're trying to do is get our coffee and get up to our field. So he's embraced it. He's golfing. He's coaching. He's a granddad now to four grandkids. So my brother just had his first 
baby him and his wife last week congratulations um, i saw the cute baby yeah. picture online i feel Super like i was there <laughs> yes he's so cute my sister my stepsister has two kids my stepbrother lives up north he's a, a police officer up north him and his wife have a baby girl and a baby boy on the way so they're doing the grandparent thing they're doing the coaching thing they're doing the golfing thing i think they're just they got a good group of friends down in boise and arizona and for us it's an easy flight right we can fly out of everett washington we can get down to boise in an hour arizona Arizona's two and a half hours. So uh, we see them, you know, quite a bit. So we're, we're fortunate. That's amazing. Okay, Adam, let people know how they can connect with you and find you online. Yeah. So I'd say probably the, the best place would be like LinkedIn. I'm in our space, like in the industry aspect, very active on LinkedIn. Just Adam Livesey out there. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but don't, it's more, that's more personal stuff. I'd say on the industry side, I'm, I'm on the, the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn space. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to tag you everywhere when this airs. And, Sounds uh... good. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank it was, it was you funny. so much. Now. Let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is your interview with Adam. It's really what I found to be incredible to start off is that he has two very dominant examples for parents, and yet they have split up and shared the kids. You have even uh, stepchildren involved where they all get along as just a terrific combination family. It's amazing because I think that that is a rarity and unusual. In this case, it shows how he's taken the best of both parents and used that to really relationship build. Here we go again about playing sports in school or, or playing music or, or having activity when you're growing up and participating with the desire of where you try everything you have a compassion for, you're really enthusiastic for, and what you're guided and encouraged to do where your parents see what you do uh, maybe a little better at, that no give up attitude, that perseverance, that attack at all odds is how you overcome the adversities in life and where you are always searching out better opportunity. And, and at the same time, dedication and loyalty to something and working with the right people. And when you understand the difficulties of working with people and being able to find a set of people that you can have similar philosophy with and get along with, you can really build a sensational team. And that's what Adam has done. I do find it also very interesting that, as we've probably stated in other episodes, that you always have to be ready to pivot. You always have to be willing to grow. You always have to be at the top of your game where you have to be creative and be able to learn new things and new technology if you want to stay in the game, if you want to stay relevant. And those that do not keep an open mind to new ideas, they just can't make it. And eventually they have to peter out and fail. And uh, this lesson has been taught to me and uh, I've experienced it myself. It isn't easy. So you've always got to be willing to develop yourself your entire life. You never stop growing. You never stop fighting right till the end. Yeah, I knew that you would be interested in his story. Also, what did you think about his response to outsourcing abroad? Well, unfortunately, that became a necessity because you had other people started it and started doing it. And as you know, my dad uh, talked about maybe we'd have to go to China. Maybe we'd have to even move to Mexico. But my mom and I, we didn't want to go to Mexico at any cost, even if it cost us the business. And he says, well, maybe we could move to Southern California or Southern Texas and set up all anew again and be able to live in America and have some of the work done in Mexico. These big, large companies that want you to do it, sometimes they just have you set it up, help them get going, and they can drop you in a heartbeat anyway. 
And in, in our business, there was three really huge people doing their work, Reflective, Metalite, and Deaver. And they've pulled out of all three of us, sent us out of business, sent Reflect out of business. And Deaver is struggling to stay in business where they've gotten a couple of other new customers because Hubble in Arkansas closed down, even themselves, and has now been merged or been bought out by a combination of a General Electric company. To put your future in certain companies' hands, even though they're your customers, the, the same loyalty towards vendors from the old days where you had relationships, where you kept your vendors strong that were supplying you. And there was a dedication where you had even the first right of refusal on an order. You know, if somebody came in and gave them another offer, they would come and see you and say, hey, can you match it? Can you do something better? Can you rise to the occasion with a, a new technology? That type of loyalty, that type of dedication to even the people around you, that's also changed. You still have to have relationship building. You still have to have loyalty. You still have to show that you're willing to go the extra mile for a customer, even when they're wrong and they don't treat you right. You still have to show that you are above the fray. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 